You're listening to the Your Queer Story podcast, the podcast that inspires peace, love, and radicalism, led by your favorite hosts, Evan Jones and Paul Hobbs. Trigger warning. Our content covers centuries of LGBTQ plus stories, and occasionally we may use outdated language or cover topics that include violence, assault, homophobia, transphobia, as well as other injustices against marginalized communities. Make sure you subscribe and review wherever you are listening, and be sure to follow us on all social media at Your Queer Story. And if you want exclusive content, join us on Patreon at patreon.com slash yourqueerstory. You're here, now let's get queer. Today, Evan's extremely sick, and I have absolutely no sleep in me. I'm on four shots of espresso and a coffee. Um, So it's going to be a wonderfully fun episode. I'm sober again because it's 9.45 in the morning. What is this thing? Who does this? Evan doesn't know how to work technology, which is nothing new. None of this makes sense to me. Why does it keep dying? You know what? He's like, he's using an Amazon Kindle. Why does documents not take me to my Google Docs? I'm like, I don't know, maybe because it's taking you to your documents on your Amazon Kindle. It didn't just <laughs> randomly come with pre-built fucking docs. It makes sense to me. Why wouldn't it? I don't understand why it's... I got this... I spent fucking $70 on this tablet. it's not a Google product. It's Whatever. I don't product. care. The point is I spent $70 on this tablet, and every time I open up Google Docs, it crashes. That's bullshit, Kindle. <laughs> That's bullshit. Yeah, I don't know why it's crashing, but... Uh, the fact that we, it didn't come with Google Docs is, I thought, common sense, but whatever. Evan did I don't grow up in a church cult. I don't know any of that. And um, also, uh, we, why do we have such shitty luck with tablets? Because you buy them. This was an Amazon Kindle. I went all out on this one, okay? All out, Paul. <laughs> I got the plum <laughs> color and everything. It <laughs> is a nice color. It's still shit. So... Um, Rather than telling you about my week, I'm going to tell you about my horrible fucking dream I had last night because I don't have anything exciting this so week. So excited. Trigger warning. I will be sniffing and breathing heavily into this the entire time. Um, yeah. So you're going to get to enjoy that. <laughs> Go ahead. So last night, um, besides the fact that David woke me up at 4 a.m. because he thought someone had broken into the house... <laughs> um, and he walked around naked with his baseball bat in hand, mm. which I'm sure would have been terrifying if somebody had broken in the house. <laughs> a fucking pink baseball bat with a naked man walking around holding it. Of course you have a pink baseball bat. Go um, ahead. So yeah, that took me forever to get back to sleep. And then when I went back to sleep, I had a dream that I was in an airplane sitting in the emergency exit, uh-huh. the emergency like spot, and the plane fucking starts free falling 4,000 feet, and my face was pressed against the fucking window because it was just diving. Oh, wow. And the fucking pilot, Denise, so if you ever get on a plane and they're like, our pilot today is going to be Denise, get the fuck off that plane because she doesn't know what the fuck she's doing. This is why we don't let women fly planes. Absolutely. That's what I'm saying. Just women women named Denise in particular. (laughs) Uh, I don't know why her name was Denise. I just remember that. But uh, yeah, I woke up before we hit the ground, luckily. Don't know why the plane was just free falling. I don't know if it was hacked or if it was just a, I was in a Boeing for some reason. I don't know what was going on, but it was terrifying. So I didn't sleep at all last night. <laughs> That's why I'm on so much caffeine right now. Wow, I'm so sorry for you. I just keep having dreams that someone is trying to take away my dog Stewie. Oh my god, just let Stewie. it happen. No, the, Hitchcock. This... Nobody is, but there's. I I have had incredible <laughs> panic dreams in the last few months of like it's either like we're running somewhere and someone's chasing us and I can't get Stewie or the house is burning and I can't get Stewie out of the house or <laughs> someone has stolen Stewie specifically <laughs> Stewie I have a lot of anxiety about Stewie oh it, it should just happen <laughs> not the house I don't want him to get killed but like he could just disappear and be fine somewhere else oh, you're such a bitch nobody likes Stewie he's just he's a damaged dog that no he looks like that steven dog that what that you know you don't know what i'm talking about no don't pull it up i also don't be shitting on my dog okay he is really he cute. looks like this come around and look i can't come steven. all the way around there 
This is your. This is fucking Stewie. This is all I think about every time I look at Stewie. <laughs> From that meme. Yes. Okay. Whatever. He's Stewie is my baby. Okay. I got him during a really hard time in my life, and he understands me. And maybe some of my anxiety got projected onto him. I don't know. Maybe. I don't know. I'm like a, a bad parent who then later got better, but like you still damaged your child. <laughs> <laughs> Story of my life. <laughs> exactly, right? I just perpetuated that generational trauma onto my dog. Basically. So now I'm trying to help him back to where he needs to be. <laughs> but he was already so broken before that because he spent like he a year and a half in a ho- like home and whatever. Uh, anyways, that's my scary dreams. Mm. But. But otherwise, I slept great. I got the new um, Z Quill, which is like it's a night oh, quill. Yeah. It's like all the just the sleeping mm-hmm. stuff. I've been was... taking uh, melatonin. I've had some real interesting dreams. Melatonin never makes me dream. Really? Hang on. Yeah. I'm sorry if it's getting crazy. I'm trying to adjust my mic. Um, yeah, I had a dream that I made like a Jello baby out of an acorn. <laughs> so like I t- cut the top of an acorn off, and mm-hmm. then I put it inside this Jello that's shaped like a baby body, like a two-year-old's body Uh without hands. It just had little nubs. And I put the acorn on top of its head and then it turned alive. Its name is D. Um, I've had a lot of interesting dreams lately. Don't remember all of them, but I just remember, oh, I had a dream that I was in a, like I woke up from a dream and I was still dreaming. Oh, those are the worst. And then I woke up in real life and I was like, what's real? I was yeah, like, is this, yeah, you don't know. I was like, am I going to wake up again? What's happening? Yeah, you have no clue what's real and what's not. Yeah, no, those are the worst. Or like when you wake up, but you know you're still dreaming and you're like, you're you're dreaming, you're dreaming, but you you can't wake up. Yeah. Yeah. 20 milligrams of melatonin. Oh, well, that's why. <laughs> Who the fuck is taking 20 milligrams? Of, what are you doing? Just want, downing half the bottle? No, it's two. They're 10 each. What, yeah, I don't think you're supposed to take two. There's no, I think there's no OD limit. I looked it up. Okay. I mean, you can't really die from melatonin. But, but you're, I wanted to experience some crazy dreams. So let me tell you, 20 milligrams of melatonin, that'll do You could do also it for you. just take mushrooms or, you know, smoke some, well, I guess the, the weed wouldn't be effective from Mm-mm. the two times that you've taken it in your life, strictly I've for never, medicinal purposes. I've, I've never done that. Medicinal only. <laughs> yeah. But today we're talking about an angry lesbian. Yeah. Um, my favorite kind of lesbian. <laughs> not to perpetuate a stereotype, <laughs> but... She's not like every other lesbian out no, there. No, she's not. No. <laughs> Shut up. We do not. That's not true. You know what? Who's the one of the funniest people you know? Ellen. Is she an angry lesbian? No. She's a very she, happy... Oh, she's absolutely angry behind the scenes. You know she goes back to behind her stance. She, who the fuck fucked that up? No, Go sit down she's right a now. businesswoman. You that's know who she, she is. so angry no, behind the know, scenes. No, she, she comes out on the stage and she's all happy oh, and smiling. Oh, that's But bullshit. you know behind does the scenes. Does she know how to get shit done? Yes, she does. Because she's an angry because lesbian. Because any woman who's in charge and takes charge is considered angry and mean. But when men take charge, it's just, oh, you're just... He, he's just being a man. No, he's, he's a doing fucking asshole. <laughs> so, <laughs> no. This is, see, people said the same thing about Oprah because people can't stand that someone could actually be just be generous and nice and kind. So they have to like spend this whole I know, I've heard, fake story. I've heard stories of Ellen. I'm sure there's stories. I'm sure like she does her job. You don't run a successful daytime a show that's as successful as that and not like step on some people's toes. You have to do that in any business. Ellen is the next Lizzie Borden. Shut up. I'm sure there's people that I've fired that would consider me an asshole. I don't think I'm an asshole, but I will. Oh, like, I'm sure there's people that I fired that would consider Exactly. <laughs> it's like, yeah, if you have to fire someone, they're going to be like, oh, you're a fucking asshole. But the truth is you were stealing money, so I don't know what the fuck you wanted me you to do. You know what the funniest thing is? The first time I fired someone, I felt so bad. And I was like, in my head, I'm like, oh, my God, I hope he's, everything's okay. Like, even though they were fucking me over. Yeah. But then, like, the, I don't know, 20th time, I was like, all right, bye, you're out of here. Oh, God. <laughs> Hit the I, road. I, yeah, retail has made me so <laughs> immune to people, and like I, I had to fire someone um, recently-ish who had like worked for several years mm-hmm. for the company, worked with me for several years, and then it turned out they were stealing, and it was just like, bye. Eventually, you're just like, fuck, like you can't trust anybody. I used to care, and I mean, I'm still very empathetic towards people, but I used to always yeah. try to make sure that everybody was like, you know, had everything in the world. Yeah, I just don't care. I'm like. You're out to get whatever you want out of this world. I'm out to get whatever <laughs> I want out of this world. Good fucking luck, buddy. I, I still care. I, oh, I, I still absolutely yeah. will help people and care for people, but like, it's different. 
I don't know. I care. I it da- retail damaged me permanently. It does. <laughs> I, I do. I do care. I still care very much for my employees, but I do reach the point like once I find out that you screwed me over, right? I'm very much like nope. I, I have to let go because the same thing you did. Like when I was younger, I would beat myself up and I was feel so guilty and be like, why didn't I do this? Could I have done something better? And eventually, just realize that you know people are people and sometimes people steal because they're on hard times and they don't feel like they have another option and I feel bad for them but also I can't make that my problem right you know That's like in that moment like I have a whole other staff of people if I don't take care of them then they don't get to you know pay and take care of their families mm-hmm. so I can't get caught up on you anyways <laughs> so the whole point is we all can be assholes that doesn't mean you are an asshole but was Lizzie Borden an asshole we don't know the people would have to decide for themselves I don't know you know, the people who she axe murdered might think she was an asshole. First of all, you don't know for sure that she axe murdered them. Also, <laughs> you might be surprised by some of the things that we're going to cover in this episode. You know what, though? Being, I'm not even going to put that energy out there because somebody's going to come for me if I tell them. What? The Russians are going to come for me. The Russians aren't coming. The for Russian you. government's going to come for me because we're being <laughs> spread around on an undercover underground Russian network. The Russian government does not give a fuck about us. No. So many people are taking shots at them right now. My biggest fear is being axe murdered. Mm-hmm. Like I've no, I've said it for yeah ever since has. I was like a child. Like that's yeah. the way not to go. <laughs> and David's like, we should move into a house in the woods. And I'm like, you want to no. move where the axe murderer lives? Yeah, exactly. Are you, he's like, nobody lives in the woods. I'm like, you know who lives in the woods? Axe, axe murderers. murderers. Yeah, they do. They do. I don't know why you're specifically so afraid of. That. I don't know why it's an axe. It, I could be shot. I would be okay with it. It is takes so much okay energy to kill someone with an axe. That's the problem. It's a so it's a much. it's a fury and anger thing. I think where it's so much more traumatic than like oh yeah well, anything that, else. It, that's one of the reasons why Lizzie Borden wasn't convicted. Which spoiler alert: if 130 years later you don't know that Lizzie Borden wasn't convicted, <laughs> um, you know because people are like it's just like the strength to do it, you know. The anger, the fury, like that's what scares me. I think. Yeah, well, the, that's the, the extreme if you're anger killing behind someone it. with an, an axe. Right. You have to have anger. But you know what? If they're using that much anger, you're probably going to die in the first or second blow. I don't know about that. It depends on where they hit you. It does. Well, I, I think Lizzie Borden's parents died pretty quickly <laughs> because the person was not fucking around. Well, they say after you die, your brain technically. Li- well, I guess that's only decapitation. If your brain gets fucking s- smushed. Yeah, then- if your brain's smushed. Yeah, it's only if like your head gets cut off. All right, we got to go. All right. Let's do this. So um, we wa- I do want to throw out a trigger warning. Obviously, we're going to talk about violence. It's October, people. Get ready for exactly. it. Exactly. Trigger all, warning for the whole month. All of October will include lots of violence. It will include rape. It will include incest. It will include Murder. gruesome topics. Um, so Demons, um, ghosts, possessions. Yeah. I don't know, maybe. Yeah. Anything you could it ever imagine. Be, we'll also talk about demons and ghosts and all kinds of things. So all of October, there's a big trigger warning, and uh, specifically for this episode, um, everything that was mentioned except for the demons and ghosts. Um, we are so trigger warning: if you don't want gruesome, if you don't want talk of incest or abuse, you shouldn't listen to this episode. But if you are set, let's we have seventy other episodes for you to listen to. Exactly, we do. Go back and listen to our recent, um, you know, talk about history of polyamory and, and monogamy. That's good. All right. You want to start or you want me to start? I'll start. Now that we're already 13 minutes in. <laughs> I told you. Today we cover an individual who is more an icon of queer pop culture than an actual figure of queer history. The infamous angry lesbian Lizzie Borden. <laughs> and this is not to say that Lizzie was not gay or bisexual. There is certainly some evidence which we will produce for the listener to decide for themselves. However, Lizzie's true role in queer history is as dark is a dark legend and a wistful fantasy. The mystery of her sexuality is almost as hotly debated as the mystery of her parents' death. And so for more than a century, the whispers of a lesbian axe murder have filled the halls of queer spaces, spilled onto the pages of queer erotica, and even graced the screen the, the screens, <laughs> and even graced the screens of queer cinema. Now let us begin the tale of the mistress of Maplecroft. Yeah. Which is a fucking sexy name for a town. It, well, Maplecroft isn't the sound. That's the name of her house. Oh, later that's in life. I, I'm right. It's a I'm great using name. that as a name for like a, a town the and mistress, something. I I would love it. Yeah, the mistress of Maplecroft. It, it is really sexy. Uh, and yeah, and then I do want to add that like we, there's very little little evidence, which we'll talk about, of her sexuality, but 
she has been become like this icon in queer culture. I'm stealing. I'm writing that down. I'm oh, that. he's literally yeah, writing that. That is a folks. beautiful he's name. He's like, I want that name, Mistress of Maple Cross. That's my drag name. <laughs> <laughs> so Andrew Jackson Borden, which pause right there. The fact that your name is Andrew Jackson should be like, this guy's probably an asshole. Mm-hmm. I don't know, but probably. Just a small hint. <laughs> Andrew Jackson Borden struggled to make ends meet as a young man. Despite inheriting a small estate from his father, he had little financial stability. This changed after some prudent investments in the textile and manufacturing industries. And by the time Borden was middle-aged, he had earned a small fortune and bought a large estate at 92 Second Street. However, he was a frugal man and refused to install electricity and indoor plumbing or add many of the luxuries he could very well afford. It was very weird, Andrew, Andrew Jackson, Borden, he was just odd. He very wealthy, which I'll mention in a moment, and but refused to spend his wealth. But then he would, on the other hand, he would all of a sudden do these very huge random acts of monetary kindness. Like he'd give someone a house or something, but then otherwise he wouldn't like put a fucking bathroom in his house. You know, the thing that I've learned is that people who are really wealthy, I mean, I'm not talking about like billionaires, you know, I'm talking about people who are very well off. They very rarely flaunt it. No, yeah. They're the ones who are walking unless around in regular clothes. It's the right. I mean right. like that's what I mean like unless you're like ultra wealthy, but the people who are very well off, <coughs> you would never know that they're very well off. Yeah. It's the people who are like somewhat well off but not really well yeah. off. They want to try to flaunt it to Keep prove it something. Appearance. Right, exactly. But the people who are really well off but not like millionaire, billionaire, buy whatever they want status, like you'd never know. Yeah. Well, I also think there's a difference between the people that earn their fortune and the people that inherit their fortune. Right. Yeah, absolutely. So there was a lot of talk because uh, Borden's family was wealthy, but yet he didn't inherit that for whatever reason. I don't know. Um, He just like he got a little bit of money to get him going, but it was very little. Like he sold fish on a fish market for years. Like he was not be a horrible. Imagine how smelly that must (laughs) be. How disgusting that is, especially in the 1800s. Yeah, it was awful. So like so this was not a man like he built himself. But by then, the estate alone was worth over 300000 at the time of Borden's death and estimated $8 million by today's standards. Mm-hmm. The deliberate unsanitary conditions, unsanitary conditions would cause many problems in the future and could have even contributed to the death of Andrew's first wife, Sarah. We do not know when Sarah and Andrew were married, but in 1851, they brought their first daughter into the world, Emma Lenora. Nine years later, on July 19th, 1960... Lizzie Andrew Borden was born. Yes. She, uh, she had the middle name Andrew. She yep. was pissed. Her name was Lab. Her, her initials were Lab. Lab. <laughs> her father gave her his name when it became apparent he would not have a son, most likely because of Sarah's declining health. Sadly, just a few, few years later, Sarah Borden would die after a slow progression of spinal disease and uterine congestion caused by unsanitary conditions, probably. Yep. Which was common for women who had borne more than one child during this time period. The unsanitary conditions of the time and uncleanliness of the Borden house certainly did not help. Three years after Sarah's death, Andrew remarried in 1865 to Abby Gray. The Borden sisters struggled with their relationship with their stepmother, Though Lizzie was only five years old when Abby came into the picture, she grew up convinced that Abby had only married Andrew for his wealth. It seems likely that Emma, who was 14 when the couple married, most likely instilled this thought into Lizzie. Regardless, the three women fought often, and for the last part of Abby's life, Lizzie and her stepmother hardly spoke, even though they lived in the same house. Um, and the the time period is a little hazy because, like, I heard that, like, uh, Emma was 14 when Abby came in the picture. She may have been 15 or 16, and that only matters because of events later on. But just putting that on there, if the timeline doesn't seem to fully match up, that's because I got a lot of conflicting. Like, I use the internet. I use the book, The Fall River Tragedies. There's a new book out, which will be in our references later on that I tried to get, but I couldn't. But my timeline jumped all over the place. So, um, but we know that Emma was a teenager when her mother died and when her father remarried. And that definitely, I mean, my... Oh, my God. Oh, it's Teenagers so much, right? with a new parent <laughs> The worst. Good luck. My, Unless, so yeah. when... Um, see, I had a different situation. I was a little bit older when my mom met my stepdad, but my younger sisters really... Mm. I mean, the, my middle sister especially really struggled and still struggles to like, I think it was just that teenage rebellion, 
You oh, know, yeah. like that's it it's hard. If, You're if, not my real dad. Yeah, exactly. You can't tell me what to do. Oh yeah. You're, you know that whole thing. Same thing. My my mom, my um, oldest stepsister was I think 13 when my mom married my stepdad, and same thing. Like she and my mom fought constantly. The rest mm-hmm. of us were fine. Like we, yeah. you know, who is this person? Like exactly. You, you weren't around. You exactly. don't know what's going on. Who the fuck are you? Right. Yeah. Like her parents had been divorced for eight years. There was no way in hell they were getting back together. But my stepsister was convinced mm-hmm. that like my mom was the reason that they weren't going to get back together. It's just teenagers yeah. being teenagers. But it does. It adds to the tension. And when you're a young kid and you grow up and your older sister hates your stepmother, you grow up hating your stepmother. Absolutely. Also, this is completely unrelated but if your significant other is cheating on you or leaves you for another person or something like that it is not that other person's fault right do not attack the other person do not try to in the relationship yeah (laughs) do not try to make that other person's life miserable they did not steal the other your person from you your person left you because they were not interested in you anymore the relationship was over just throwing that out there you're being very you're using the same word, so it's a little confusing to follow you, but I think I know what you're saying. If you get cheated on, it's not the other person's fault. The person that they cheated on you with? Okay, so... Use some names. (laughs) If you are dating someone, Uh the person and that person you are dating cheats on you... Uh It's not the the person that they're having an affair with fault. The fault of the person they have an affair with. Yeah. It is your spouse's fault. Exactly. So do not try to find this person on the street and beat them. Do not try to follow them <laughs> around in their car. Do not try to like attack them. Do not drag them on social media. They're not a homewrecker. Your spouse is a cheater. Exactly. It's exactly. their fault. It's the spouse's fault. That's true. I don't know what this has to do with. The I don't episode, know, but, but just, hearing, just well when you said it, it was when you said it was like. Your sister. Oh, my sister was yeah, like convinced, convinced that, that they yeah. were going to come back. Yeah. It's yeah. not the other person. It's fault. always blaming someone else other right. than the people that are actually at fault. Exactly. Because we don't want to believe that the person we love could hurt us like that. You well, know. That's, what, that's how it is. <laughs> Paul just doesn't give a fuck this morning. I, no, I didn't sleep. <laughs> I'm <laughs> running on sleep. a lot of caffeine. <laughs> oh, yeah. I'm ready to fight. <laughs> Denise fucking pissed me off trying fuck to class my crane. God plane. damn it, Denise. All right. So as a young child, Lizzie was known to be lively and a bit eccentric. She did well in school, but for some reason, she did not go off to college. Again, this despite her family's wealth and ability to send her to any school in the country, which allowed women, of course. There are a lot of... She spe- could have went to the same college as... Uh, the Wellesley? Wellesley? Yeah, she, yep, went she to, could have. She could have. And she would have fit right in. Yeah. There are a lot of speculations about why Lizzie never left home. And honestly, that's going to be one of the biggest re- things that we're going to cover here. We're not going to talk much about the, the trial. I think I put one paragraph on the trial. There's a lot of good information about the trial. You can go read about it. But there's so much about the information. We're going to talk more about like why she wouldn't have left home and like what led up to all this. So there's a lot of speculation. Some of the most prominent center around Andrew's control of his daughters. Many have speculated that Andrew was abusive. Others have proposed that his daughters were merely lazy and spoiled. Another strange thing which adds to the speculation is that both Lizzie and Emma never married and never seemed to have any serious prospects. However, there are also some practical answers for these questions. For one, even with the families of wealth, a woman going to college in the 1880s and 90s was extremely rare. And as for a lack of suitors, some have attributed to the shortage of men following the Civil War. Though, men who were Lizzie's age would have been born after the war, and we wonder why no one wanted to get in on the board and fortune. So people are like, well, there was a shortage of men, but Lizzie was born in 1860, and all the guys who were her age, I mean, normally you would marry someone who's older, but even Mm -hmm. then, there was a shortage of men, there was, Um, and Lizzie was not... The wealth alone would have drawn enough, though. Exactly. Lizzie was not especially attractive, but she wasn't ugly. She was just a very considered a very plain woman. But it, yeah, yeah. But it's she, not like wealthy. she was a, a regular woman on the street. Yeah, you know, yeah, like exactly. regular She's wealth, from a wealthy reg- family. Exactly. There would have been plenty of people like yeah, just trying to get in on the fortune. Exactly. Alone. I can't imagine anyone didn't want to increase their status. So there's something has to be something else at play. There's a, could have been a thousand reasons. She was an angry lesbian. <laughs> as the daughters grew older, the tension between them and their parents grew as well. Both girls regularly accused Andrew of wasting their inheritance. Andrew bought houses for his wife, Abby's family members, so Emma Emma and Lizzie demanded he buy them a house, which he did. 
but he did so in a poor part of town where the girls refused to live. <laughs> He's like, fine, I'll buy your fucking house. <laughs> Here's one in Gary, Indiana. Go live there. Right? Instead, they rented out the space, and eventually Andrew bought it back from them. Another rare gesture of monetary kindness extended by Andrew was when he funded a trip for Lizzie to travel with a group of women to Europe. Hmm. <laughs> but these gestures seem few and far between. But also women hung out together. Like, I mean, maybe something happened. Maybe they went out and they just had a real sexy trip to Europe. Or maybe just there was a group of women that went to Europe. Also, I heard that he funded it, but then he, um, this was, I could not find confirmation of this, but he funded it, but then she spent all her money so she couldn't get home. But he refused to send her money to send her home. So then Emma had to like find money to get Lizzie home. I don't oh know if that's God. true. That would be hilarious. However, it isn't like Lizzie and Emma were living in a squalor. They had status in the community and attended the theater regularly. Both girls also would have been more than welcomed on the local socialite scene, but Lizzie especially declined the open invite. In truth, she seemed more comfortable at home on the farm with animals. So, and this is a really hotly debated story. The family, the Borden family debate raised a coop of pigeons, and Lizzie was especially known to care for them. However, she later testified that she only saw the pigeons as livestock and not as pets. Her view of the animals mattered greatly because one day, Andrew Borden went into the coop and killed all the pigeons with his bare hands, wringing their necks one by one. The full reason is not known, though it was speculated that Andrew did it as a punishment to Lizzie. Um, now, so a couple things about this. First of all, uh, the, like this kind, Andrew was just a weird guy. Like there was a, a story that he would always wore, walked around in a big overcoat, even in the middle of summer. He wore this overcoat. He was just a weird man. He's very private. He's kind of isolated on his estate, and he went in there like so. There's a movie out um, called Lizzie, who's released last year. Has Kristen Stewart and Chloe Chloe Sevigny, whatever. I don't know her name, but she plays Chloe. Whatever plays. Uh, Lizzie and Kristen Stewart plays Bridget the Maid, which we'll get to. And um, but in the movie, Andrew goes in there and he hacks off all the um, pigeons' heads with a hatchet. But that's not true. He rang their necks out, which I don't know is more terrifying to slowly strangle a whole coop of pigeons. Yeah, or, that's horrible. Yeah, right. Like just to go in there. And, I mean, I don't know if it's supposed to be more humane, but I would think what level of rage is that though? Exactly, and and that and uses punishment. So he used that to punish Lizzie. So Lizzie was trying to tell when she got on the trial that came up, and she tried to say, "Look, they were just livestock." But if he uses it as punishment against her, the pigeons must have meant something to her. Yeah, I don't know. Um, so this was right around the time that Lizzie was accused of stealing her stepmother's jewelry and pawning it. It was also around the time that Lizzie was cut off from using the Borden credit line in downtown Fall River. Before the days of credit cards, clerks and stores would keep a written list of items added to credit and then send a bill to the customer at the end of the month. Gossip over Lizzie's exclusion from the credit line swirled around the town along with other stories of the strange Borden sisters. To say there was strong dysfunction in the family is an understatement. It seemed that four people who could hardly stand each other were stuck in an old house, an, an old and outdated house. And what could add more to the tension than the arrival of a new maid? Bridget Sullivan was a 25-year-old immigrant from Ireland who had taken the newly opened position as maid of the Borden household. There have been extensive rumors and stories about Bridget and Lizzie having, having an affair. So much so that last year the movie Lizzie was released starring the people that Evan mentioned. <laughs> <laughs> Which I would... So, Kristen Stewart, I can't... She, I, I am so conflicted on Kristen Stewart because I find her so incredibly sexy, but I cannot stand her fucking acting. It's just so awful. Do you know who Kristen Stewart yes, is? She's yes. She's fine. Leave her alone. She's, no, she's not, but she's, God damn it. She's so fucking hot and she just like, she only could play one character. It is. You know what? Some people play no, one character very well. She's always this confused, like troubled woman. And every that would be my role movie, if I was it's the same actor. thing where she's just like, uh, I, I don't know. I, uh, 
I'm, Here's I'm Paul, doing the best I can. Paul Hobbs is confused man, number one. <laughs> I would be great at that. Dude, it's just the one character that keep finding roles for her. Agent is fucking brilliant. He's like, hey, I got a you troubled a woman, <laughs> Kristen. You need to slide right in here. And I like, I can't stand it, but I also like cannot wa- look away from her. Like, I'm gonna go see the new Charlie's Angels specifically because I want to see Kristen Stewart run her fingers through her hairs, and I'm gonna get all fucking tingly, and I'm not gonna be able to stand anything coming out of her mouth. But God damn it, she's hot. Anyways, um, go ahead. So the entire plot centers around this forbidden love story, which has been told in queer circles for decades. Sadly, there is not a shred of evidence to support this romance. While it does seem that the that Bridget pitied Lizzie, the two were far from lovers. The roots of this rumor dated back to nineteen to the nineteen eighty five fictional novel Lizzie with an exclamation point. <laughs> by author Evan Hunter, a.k.a. Ed McBain, in which Hunter lays out a torrid and steamy romance between the two women before they are discovered by Lizzie's stepmother, Abby. This revelation ultimately pushes Lizzie to kill her parents to save her secret, but Hunter admitted that he fabricated the affair based on other events in Lizzie's life and not because there was any information to support this notion. Yeah, um, but uh, the movie is... Um, we'll talk about it at the end of the episode. Um but you do get to see Kristen Stewart in all her lesbian glory. So, I mean, I guess what what do you want to sacrifice for? <laughs> <laughs> That's the question. So as is the case with most prominent and wealthy women of this era, if they weren't married by the ripe old age of 21, the rumors began to swirl. I mean, you only lived till about 40 at that time. That's so. true. That's, that's always a good point to remember. <laughs> You're like a middle age at that point. Exactly. Like, yeah, over the hill. So, um, and if a woman never married, then she was almost certainly a lesbian. Um, while this, while... It is fun to speculate on who could be on our team, so to speak. It must be noted that many queer historians did a disservice to the queer community in the 80s and 90s. By slapping the labels of gay or lesbian on any bachelor or spinster they could, historians limited the scope of queerness. Gender queer folks, non-binary individuals, asexuals, polysexuals, trans people, and bisexuals were often erased or ignored. In addition, many cisgender straight feminists had their stance against the patriarchy and male dominance completely pushed aside. We must remember that marriage for wealthy women was often simply a lifelong prison sentence. Once a daughter was married off, usually to a much older suitor who was not of her choosing, her rights and independence became non-existent. A married woman had no rights over her body, her property, her money, or her children. Her husband could legally beat and rape her as much as he pleased, and any inheritance left to the wife by her family went directly to the husband. In the few cases where a couple divorced, the husband retained everything. So it is no wonder why some women would choose to be alone rather than be bound to even more restrictions than women already endured. And just to make a note of that, it was not illegal to rape your your spouse until, what, 1993? Yep. Yeah, so... And it was legal to beat your spouse until the early 1900s. Yeah, so, so 1993, yeah. keep that in mind. And we see the oppression of women also in Bridget Sullivan, as the mystery of the Irish maid is not confined to Lizzie. There have also been rumors of a relationship or sexual abuse perpetuated by Andrew Borden. Again, there is no evidence of this, although it is certainly possible that Borden could have abused his power and forced himself on the attractive young maid. Regardless, we do know that Bridget certainly was not nearly the object of affection she is so often portrayed. Even if she was used as a sexual release, she was still seen as the maid. The family did not even call her Bridget. They called her Maggie, or New Maggie, because the former maid had been named Maggie, and the family couldn't be bothered to learn a new name. <laughs> like the most richest <laughs> bullshit you ever heard. Yeah. <laughs> like, you're Maggie now. Um, My name It's like Alfred from... Yeah. Uh, Offered, yeah, exactly. Like, this, this, she's like, yeah. my name's Bridget. It's really easy. It's a really white sorry, name. I'm sorry, Maggie. I can't hear what you're saying. What, Maggie? What are you saying to me? <laughs> Do you spell it Bridget? Is that M-A-G-G-I-E, Maggie? <laughs> like, that's what I said, Maggie. She's like, it's Bridget. I said that, Maggie. <laughs> Some have speculated that this was a term of endearment from love of the past made. Others have insisted Lizzie secretly called Bridget by her real name. But again, there is no evidence for that. In the trial, Bridget would testify she was called Maggie, and all witnesses supported this claim. Yeah, so it just shows like a complete, yeah, again, like... Dehumanization, like you are this thing to us. Exactly, and and that goes to prove that at the end of the day, for all like the sympathy that you want to conjure up for Lizzie and Emma, uh, at the end of the day, they were just two rich girls who were spoiled. Whether Lizzie killed her parents or not, 
I, you know, like the sympathetic character, Mm -hmm. I'm I'm not fully getting that. I do think there was some reason, but not really. Mm -hmm. So the basis for all these theories stem from the motive behind the murders. If Lizzie Borden did murder her parents, then why? Was it for was it for wealth? Was she worried Andrew had cut her and Emma out of the will or significantly reduced her inheritance? The women's uncle John Morse claimed that Borden had drawn up a new will that did just this, limit their inheritance. However, the new will was never found. And suspiciously, John also claimed that he had been appointed power of attorney for the will and the women's trust fund. He also was a raging alcoholic. So he's like, he's like no, listen. John <laughs> Morse was definitely the murderer. <laughs> that is that is a theory that no, John I, Morse. He, he's <laughs> claiming all this stuff. He's like, no, no, no. There was a will that <laughs> they weren't supposed to be in it. And I was supposed to take over all their wealth. He clearly like, did this it. This is all Hello? mine. And also, uh, it said in the will that Maggie could be my mistress. So that's and that's what it said. And I read it with my own eyes, and then I threw it in the fire so nobody else could find it. Right, exactly. <laughs> uh, clearly, hello, did anybody try this man? No, he, no, no, it wasn't. Oh, he was the murderer. <laughs> I just solved an age-old mystery. You're welcome, everyone. Oh, good. Thanks, Paul. 130 years later, it never crossed anybody's mind. <laughs> I guess not, because... Uh... Anyways, or did Lizzie murder her father to protect her lover, Bridget, from abuse? Whatever Bridget's ties to the case, one thing sticks out. After her arrival, tensions in the family escalated. This could be due simply to coincidence of poor timing, or there could be a more sinister reason at play. And there's the assumption that Andrew Borden's control and abuse of his daughters became too much. Author Marsha... Marsha Carlyle. Author Marsha Carlyle of American Heritage magazine proposed that Lizzie and her sister Emma suffered from battered woman syndrome. Carlyle suggested that after Lizzie's birth, her mother was most likely on bed rest for her final two years of life. This is due to the uterine congestion she was diagnosed with um, and the usual debilitating and painful progression of the disease. Because of this, Andrew Borden might seek to find sexual release somewhere else. And being a wealthy and prominent member of a small town, as well as extremely private, Borden would have avoided houses of prostitution, instead focusing on his then 12-year-old daughter, Emma. And once Emma had gone off to boarding school or became more independent, he could have turned to Lizzie. Again, this is purely based off of like building mm-hmm. a maybe, but you do have to wonder like what pushes a woman to do this to right. say it's purely for wealth just seems a reach. Again, there is no evidence for this abuse other than the pure rage shown in the murders of Andrew and Abby Borden. If Lizzie felt her stepmother knew of the abuse and ignored it, that could further explain why she so bitterly hated Abby. In the final years of Abby's life, Lizzie would publicly and aggressively correct anyone who called Abby her mother. Even at her trial, Lizzie refused to use that term in reference to Abby. However, as is often the case of children abused in incestuous relationships, her feelings towards her father were mixed. At moments, she was especially gentle with him, even gifting him a beautiful ring which he always wore. Yet in other moments, she openly despised him. Further circumstantial evidence is pointed to Andrew's choice of the house on 2nd Street. Borden bought this home seven years after marrying Abby. It was essentially a two-family dwelling, and Andrew never did anything to change this. The girls could have their own side quite separated from Abby and Andrew. Some could see this as the Borden sisters gaining a little independence. Abby would have had Abby would have been twenty-two or twenty-three years old, but Lizzie was still only twelve or thirteen. Others could see it as Andrew's attempting to defuse the rising tension between his wife and daughters. But still, people proposed that Andrew did it so he could more easily continue his abuse of Lizzie and Emma without being caught by Abby. However, we cannot discount the age-old tie between abuse and homosexuality, where where psychologists like Sigmund Freud erroneously pointed that all homosexuality stemmed from childhood abuse, and thus the rumors of a lesbian axe murder would certainly fit the idea that she had been sexually abused. False psychology aside, one must wonder why both Lizzie and Emma never entered marriage and if she did kill Andrew and Abby why um, and <clears throat> about the uh, where was I at um, oh and then another thing about the house the house was just weird I mean obviously it's outdated and Andrew never did anything to fix it but like the the corridors and passages which you can visit today in Fall River Massachusetts Let's do it if you want to go there um, yeah you could visit you like uh, it was just a weirdly laid out house and also, everybody kept their doors to their bedrooms locked. Like, everybody did, except for Bridget, who was not allowed to lock her door. So, ugh. um, But, yeah, so it was just a very... Everything in the house was strange. Like, mm-hmm. why they cut... Like, I don't know. 
Marsha Carlyle wrote this stirring paragraph in her article, What Made Lizzie Borden Kill? No single disorder is enough to make a case for a family at war with itself. But viewed as a pattern, the long-time absence of a wife or mother, the ages of the girls at the time of their mother's illness, the autocratic father, the isolation of the family, the failure of the family to bond as a unit when the new Mrs. Borden moved in, the timing of the move to the new house, the structure of the house, the special relationship between Lizzie and her father, the tensions between both daughters and the stepmother, all these together suggest long-standing structural flaws that could have led to the family violence and to the murders. Even the way in which the killings were committed seems telling. All the hatchet blows directed at Mr. Borden were aimed at his face. As the prosecuting attorney described it in his closing argument, the hand that held the weapon the hand that held the weapon was not the hand of a masculine strength. It was the hand of a person strong only in hate and the desire to kill. Carlyle continued, Dr. Judith Herman, a leading authority on the father-daughter incest, helped one group of adult, men, of adult women through the healing process recently. The median age in the group was Lizzie's age at the time of the murders, 32. The majority were white, educated, and unmarried, and had suffered some degree of amnesia about the incest. Many were, gay, many were engaged in the helping professions today's counterpart to the church activities that were important to Lizzie in the 1890s. So it's just, <clears throat> there was a lot of studies, and um, I actually, I put a link in, the, obviously, in the um, script uh, to the American Heritage Magazine article. I, it's not so much that I don't know how much basis it's in, but the article as a whole was really about battered women's syndrome, and it was really interesting. There was a, she cited a lot of cases of similar instances of young women who killed their parents because of the incestuous relationship. So it was really interesting. And we do know that Lizzie, despite her social anxieties, was active in these so-called helping professions. She was a secretary and treasurer of the Christian Endeavor Society. She also joined the Women's Christian Tem Temperance Union, and she became a Sunday school teacher at her local congressional church, uh, teaching her group of newly immigrated children. This was the woman who woke up on August 4th, 1892, and joined her family for breakfast, after which Andrew Borden went on his morning walk, Abby relaxed in the sitting room, and Bridget was ordered to wash the windows. It was an incredibly hot day, and it seemed cruel to ask Bridget to do such a task. In addition, the entire family, Bridget inclu included, were suffering from a stomach virus. This was most likely due to Andrew's stinginess. He had brought home a leg of mutton and forced the family to eat every last bit, which took them several days. Since Andrew refused to invest in any modern conveniences, there was no icebox for the mutton, which means the family had been eating five-day-old meat, which had been sitting out. In addition, there were no restrooms, though he could have paid for them. Instead, the family was still using buckets in their rooms, so everyone is puking in the backyard, shitting in the buckets upstairs, and eating rotten meat. And then <laughs> she's like cleaning the windows. I just imagine like if Family Guy did this, I can just imagine that like they would have her out there like wiping the window and then vomiting on the window and wiping the window and then vomiting on the window. Like that's something fa that would be very Family Well, guy. she did keep like climbing down the ladder and puking in the backyard. I mean, it's just like the whole... Like estate is just filled with manure. Imagine and how horrible things. that smell just smells. Disgusting. Which part of it is the 1800s? But also, you're a wealthy man and you can afford right. something else. And like just the fact that he's making everybody. And like two days earlier, they had all gone to the doctor and been like, "We're sick," and he they're still eating this fucking mutton. You know, that's just I can only imagine how it smelled. Oh, like, uh, awful. And then just like, why even have her wash the windows when you have shit and puke in your yard? Right. But whatever. So it is no wonder then that Bridget felt ill. And after Andrew left, she went to her room and lied and lay down like, fuck you, Andrew. Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm watching the windows on the hottest day of the year. Sometime between 9 a.m. and 1030 a.m., Abby Borden went up to her room. Now, there was, I didn't put it in there, but there was speculation that she got a message because Lizzie would later say that Abby got a message saying she was to visit someone. And so that's why she went up to her room. Maybe she just went up to lay down because she's sick from the fucking mutton or mm -hmm. whatever. But there she was either met or followed by her killer who proceeded to whack Abby 18 times with the hatchet. The first hit was to the side of Abby's face. And after she fell, 17 more blows were delivered to the back of her head. Around 1030, Andrew Borden returned. His key wouldn't work and he began banging and screaming for Bridget. When she arrived, she found the door jammed and as she struggled to open it, she cursed, at which time she heard Lizzie laugh. 
but the laugh was coming from upstairs near Abby's room. Once Andrew was in, he went straight to the sitting room. Lizzie came in shortly, offering him some tea and gave him a pillow so he could lie down. Between 10.30 and 11, the killer returned with the hatchet and struck Andrew Borden 11 times in the face. At 11.10 at a.m., Bridget heard Lizzie scream and cry, Maggie, come quick, father's dead, someone's came in and killed him. Police were called to the scene and initially only one officer was on duty, as it was the town's annual picnic. And fuck that. I'm eating my fucking food. I don't have an icebox at home, and I'm not getting sick like the board. And so exactly. I'm eating my lunch at the picnic. I'll get there when I get there. Let's go see what the ruckus is about. But once Abby's body was also found upstairs, the, officers, the officer hurried for backup, bringing a large crowd with him. Police searched the house but could find no other significant evidence. Though they did find the handle of a hatchet, just not the head. Yeah, in the basement, there was a couple hatchets and there was a random handle that had been freshly cut. They were a bit put off by Lizzie's calm manner. Bridget was almost hysterical, yet Lizzie seemed very reserved and and uncaring. Her clothes were pristine, almost oddly clean, but most suspiciously was her conflicting story. She couldn't get her times right. She insisted she hadn't been upstairs, and then later she said she had. She told officers she had removed Andrew's boots, but he died with them on. She couldn't explain where she was when the murders happened, and then she said she was doing some ironing. Nothing added up. Yeah, it was just one strange story after another. She said that Abby, I didn't put them all in here again because I didn't put a lot about the actual murder because there's so much out there. Um, but like she said that um, Abby had been called away with a message and then she said she didn't know where Abby was. She said, I thought she left and she came back home. Like, And um, also I didn't add in here, but Emma wasn't here for any of this. Emma had gone a few days earlier to go visit friends out of town. So the town seemed at once convinced that Lizzie Borden was a killer. A few days after the murder, neighbor Alice Russell witnessed Lizzie burning a blue dress with blood on it. However, Lizzie had been menstruating at the time of murders and claimed this was a reason. Again, this is 1890, so it's not like you have a lot of sanitary napkins. Mm -hmm. The suspect had a reason for everything, but it never quite fit. Regardless, after only an 11-day trial and only 90 minutes of deliberation, a jury found Lizzie Borden not guilty. In truth, the jurors later admitted they immediately found her not guilty, but waited an hour out of respect for the process. <laughs> like, they walk in, they're like, you think you should be guilty? And, oh, I don't, I don't, I don't. All right, well, let's just sit here and play a mm -hmm. game of gin rummy. The real reason behind Lizzie's acquittal lies in the expert testimony of Dr. Bowen. <clears throat> I do not believe a hardened man of the world, much less a gentle and refined woman, in her sober senses, devoid of sudden passion, could strike such a blow with such a weapon as was used on Mr. Borden and linger to survey the bloody deed. So basically, she was just too nice of a, and gentle of a woman to be able to commit such a gruesome murder. Even though clearly a smashing someone's face in with an axe is a crime of passion. Right, exactly. That's not like, <laughs> a, I mean, a, a murder would have been like, stab, you know, slicing them in the neck and one swing to the neck or mm -hmm. something like that. This was like, they mutilated these people's exactly. faces and they stayed there to do it 18 times. Yeah. Whoever did this, I think it might have been Lizzie, um, <laughs> definitely but, did it out of anger. I mean, you could say it's not like she's alive to do anything. She might haunt you. But what I found... I don't want to be haunted by an axe murderer. No thanks. <laughs> it's like, that would be even worse than being murdered exactly, by an axe murderer. Worst. Now I'm haunted by the ghost of an axe murderer. <laughs> right. Um, the biggest correlation that I see, I heard again and again, and there's entire like books written on it was, uh, Lizzie Borden's trial compared to OJ's trial mm -hmm. where like either you knew for sure, like Lizzie did it or you knew for sure she did it. And like, there was no gray area. Yeah. Everyone was like, they, they were shocked. People screamed and like gasped whenever they, it was, um, yeah. announced that she had been found innocent. Like it was a whole thing. Mm-hmm. The truth is, authorities who had witnessed the gruesome, gruesomeness of the crime could not bring themselves to believe a woman could do such a dastardly deed, but the rest of the town believed it. Bridget left 92 Second Street the day after the murder and moved to Montana. Fuck that. Fuck out here. But for some strange reason, Lizzie and Emma con decided to continue living in Fall River, though they did sell the house at 92 Second Street and moved to a more affluent area on the hill, the place they had always wanted to live. That was the rich part of Fall River. Yeah. They called the place Maplecroft, which 
has been used in Lizzie Borden fan fiction ever since. Sadly, the sisters would eventually part ways as Lizzie became a bit of a party girl. She drank and hosted parties for those who dared to attend. She also carried on affairs with several men, including a few prominent married men. And in 1897, she was arrested in Providence, Rhode Island for shoplifting. Yeah, Providence. South Providence, probably. (laughs) Right. But the final straw came when Lizzie began an affair with actress Nance O'Neill. And this is where the basis for Lizzie's sexuality comes into play. Whether she was bisexual, gay, or simply fluid, Lizzie was definitely attracted to women, and her notoriety and wealth landed her a beautiful one, but it cost her relationship with her sister Emma. The Boston Herald reported in June of 1905, After repeated disagreements, Lizzie A. Borden and her sister Emma Borden have parted company. Several days ago, Miss Emma packed up her belongings, calling a moving wagon, and shook the dust of the French Street home, where they have lived together ever since the acquittal in their famous murder trial from her feet. She is reported to have moved to Fairhaven. Ever since her departure, the tongue of gossips have been wagging tremendously, even for Fall River, which is saying a great deal. All sorts of reasons for the quarrel between the sisters have been afloat, but the best-founded ones involve the name of Miss Nance O'Neill, the actress. We know very little about the relationship, only that Nance had the reputation of being a lesbian and that she was a struggling actress. Lizzie was immediately smitten with the actress, and the two fell in love pretty quickly though some have suggested Nance was using Lizzie for her money. Either way, for a brief period, Lizzie Borden, enjoy- Lizzie Borden enjoyed complete sexual freedom and a hot whirlwind romance. Whether she deserved it or not is up for the listener to decide. On June 1st, 1927, Lizzie Borden died at, at age 68 of pneumonia after gallbladder removal. Nine days later, Emma died as well. She was 76, and the two sisters hadn't spoken in over 20 years. Lizzie's fortune amounted to 250000 which is over $4 million today, which she left to friends, the Fall River Animal Rescue, and the Humane Society, as well as $500 and a perpetual trust for maintenance of her father's grave. Yeah. So, um, and, and, and it was directly responsible. Like, Nance O'Neill, the affair was, uh, like, Emma went to her minister and he advised her to leave the house because she shouldn't be around that kind of sin. Um, and, and eventually, obviously, Lizzie and Nancy didn't stay together forever. It was a brief romance. Mm-hmm. Whether she had others, we don't know. We only know that because the newspaper and right. a couple of letters from Emma. But <clears throat> but that so that is Lizzie Borden. Your reference for this episode is the new book, The Trial of Lizzie Borden by Kara Robertson, which is considered the definitive um, biography of Lizzie Borden. It accounts for her sexuality in there and, and just a host of other things. Or you can skip that and watch the movie Lizzie, released in 2018 with Chloe Sevigny and Kristen Stewart. It's available on Amazon or Shuttered. Um, I have mixed feelings about the movie. It it was in some ways it like started off really good, and I was like really glad I was watching it. But then it kind of like spun out and it got a little weird. And then, and I'm gonna spoil this for you, so I'm sorry. But um, in the murder part of the movie, um, Lizzie is completely naked. And it was like they did this whole movie and there's like lesbian sex and everything. And I'm like, good, like a movie about lesbians where you don't have to show the nudity. And then they randomly have both Lizzie and Kristen Stewart get naked um, if, to murder the parents just because they're like, oh, well, we almost made a whole movie with two lesbians and nobody got naked. <laughs> Excuse Even us. she was burning a blue dress. Exactly. Yeah. So. Um, but also, would she have murdered them in a blue dress? Probably not. That seems very I, like I, a not a good outfit. For I that. don't. <laughs> what is the appropriate outfit for Something murder? Something that you can move around in. Uh, well, they don't wear pants. She's got to wear a dress. Anyways, so but um, and the movie is not historically accurate at all, but it's but it's not bad. Um, So if you want to check that out, go ahead. But that's it. That's your um, that's your mistress of Maplecroft. Mistress of Maplecroft, the angry lesbian axe murderer um, and probably the scariest thing that would ever haunt you. (laughs) Probably. So uh, stay queer. Don't get a lobotomy. We love your little allied hookers. A little succulent surface. And our homocrats. So have a sodomy circus. Goodbye. Thanks for listening. Remember to subscribe and review wherever you are listening and follow us on social media at Your Queer Story. Like what you heard? Want to share your story? Send us a voice message to add to the podcast from the Anchor app or at anchor.fm slash yourqueerstory. And if you would like to support the work we do or get exclusive content, check us out on patreon.com slash yourqueerstory. See you next week. Bye. Bye.